0: Hey, future millionaires. I'm excited to announce my new Purpose of Wealth event being held at the Capitol Theater in Lebanon, Tennessee on Friday night, October 29th. That's Friday night, October 29th. We're going to have four hours of financial teaching from four awesome speakers. That's including Pastor Ben Graham of Music City Baptist Church, Sean T. Feldhahn, author of Thriving in Life and Money, and my good friend Jeremy Newsom, CEO of Real Life Trading, are going to join me to talk about life, money, and faith. Get tickets at purposeofwealth.live, that's purposeofwealth.live, or visit themillionairechoice.com for more info. I look forward to seeing you there.
1: Is money slipping through your fingers? Are you missing your opportunity to become a millionaire? Welcome to The Millionaire Choice, where we talk to millionaires and future millionaires about how to build wealth and what to do with it once you have it. We're here to help you do two things. Make your millionaire choice and create your own millionaire plan. Here's your host, speaker, wealth coach, and author of The Millionaire Choice. He made his choice and he created his millionaire plan at age 25. Now it's your turn. Welcome your host, Tony Bradshaw.
0: Welcome back to the Millionaire Choice Show. And today on the show, we're going to talk a little bit about small business and financial strategies for CEOs. We're talking to Melissa Houston. She is a financial strategist for CEOs, CPA, and she's been helping business owners for over 20 years. Uh, learn how to increase their profit margins so they can keep more money in their pockets and increase their net worth. And uh, she's also the founder of the businesssociety.co, that is .co, not .com, the businesssociety.co. Melissa, welcome to the Millionaire Choice Show. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here, Tony. Yeah. So uh, we had a great conversation before the show started today. So I appreciate you uh, sharing some of what you got going on. Um, One of the things that we love to talk about on the show is backstory. I haven't heard your backstory yet, so I'm, I'm eager to see where that comes from. But for you to be able to uh, help CEOs who a lot of times, small business guys, CEOs are very lonely. That's a very lonely job at times. Yeah. Um, yeah, because you're having to do things that other people around you aren't. And so you it's, it's very common for people to get isolated, isn't it? Lonely at the top. <laughs> yeah. uh, I haven't heard that before, have I? So uh, one of the things you do when you go in, because you would think these CEOs got their money figured out, right? Like they're running a business, they, they know what money means, they know how it runs,
2: but that's really not the case, is it? No, it's not the case at all. And what I had seen over the over 20 years of experience working with business owners and project managers and you know just being in the corporate world is that um, not a lot of business owners had an idea of what was going on with their finances. So I saw a huge disconnect there, right? Cuz we spend a lot of time talking about personal financial literacy in, you know, the general realm of things, but business owners, there's not a lot of resources for them to look up if they want to understand if their business is being profitable or if they want to understand their profit margins and such. And chances are, you know, if you did take a business course in Uh, college or university or even high school, you're not learning about how to manage your money, right? And if you took an accounting course, it likely taught you the basics of debits and credits. And it's not really getting into the meat and potatoes of how a business runs. So I saw a huge need for that because so many of my clients were coming to me saying, I don't understand these financial statements. I don't understand what you expect me to do with this. And over and over again, I would be explaining to CEOs, to project managers, to business owners, whoever I was dealing with, you know, this is what you need to do. This is like we would go over everything and really in a comp like a comprehensive way and show them exactly what they needed to know. Not everything, but just what you need to know to measure whether your business is being profitable or not. And that was so helpful to them. And you know, I saw like, well, if business owners don't have access to this, I need to create something to make it accessible.
0: Yeah, I think that's one of the common uh, misunderstandings. I think even for me, when I was working at the corporate level is you expect people to wear all the hats, right? And so Mm -hmm. when you get into a business you know, you don't understand, even I think small business entrepreneurs especially, but as you get older and you get more experience, you start to understand it. It's how specialized each role really is. Mm-hmm. And as a small business entrepreneur, you're required to wear a lot more hats a lot than more. say, if you're in a larger corporation where you can focus on the, I think they say, focus on like the, the one, two or three things that you're really good at it and then delegate the rest of it. But as a small yeah. business uh, CEO or small company CEO, you really have to wear a few more. And Even what I found is most of the leaders I worked with were not numbers people.
2: Mm -hmm. It's so true. And the numbers are telling the story of what's going on in the business. So it's, it's absolutely essential that you need to know the numbers. If you don't know the numbers, you're making blind decisions. Every decision that you make in business affects the profitability of your business. So if you don't understand what's driving your profit and you're making decisions, you're making decisions blindly.
0: Yeah, I love how you said that because one of the things that hit me during that season is, you know, when 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 times are good and the profits are rolling in, that's the time when you should be really preparing for when the profits aren't going to be there because it's exactly. what you it's what decision you make in those profitable seasons that are going to help you navigate the seasons that are unprofitable or even allow you to keep the business open and I think a lot of times when the money's rolling in um, you, you you invest in the wrong things. You either take too mm-hmm. much of that money home, or you invest in things that are the nice shiny object versus really understanding what's driving the business and where you should go. I use a case in point: uh, a couple of companies that we're all familiar with, or should be, is uh, you know uh, Kodak camera, or even Blockbuster, right? So both mm-hmm. of those companies, in my opinion, should have had innovation departments. Um, I haven't looked to see if they did or didn't, but if they did, they didn't have good ones because it didn't work. And uh, But the majority <laughs> of companies, I don't think, have good innovation departments. So when they're rolling in that money and their the profits are so high, they'd be going, okay, what's the greatest threat we're facing or what is the greatest opportunity and what's coming down the road that we don't see? And it, it's very difficult for a business to, to do those things because um, a threat they they kind of want to ignore it. I think you end up getting operationally business-minded people at the top. I think a lot of times that Mm -hmm. happens as a company grows in size and they're Mm -hmm. not the most innovative or the most creative type of leader. And so therefore Mm -hmm. it's harder for them to see the future and what's happening. They're, they're the best for the job at the size of the company that it is like a Kodak as big as the behemoth as it was the operational side of things. is very, very important. Probably the same way with Blockbuster. Uh, a lot of companies transition from um, high sales focus to uh, cutting costs, right? So how do we manage this thing better? How do we cut the expenses? How do we maintain profitability? And, and it's really, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this is, you know, the different ways to drive profitability in a company, you know, there's only a few levers you can move, right?
2: Well, there's quite a bit of things that you can do. I mean, using the Kodak and the Blockbuster example, I mean, you're looking at a tech-based industry. So if you are a tech-based business owner, you, you need to understand that you have to put some money aside to invest in technology to keep up with the market demands. But, you know, for other people who are, you know, product-based business, service-based businesses, any other type of business, there's a lot you can do to measure your profitability. The first thing would be, you know, looking at your revenues that are coming in and your expenses going out and measuring, making sure that you're making a profit. The other thing is to make sure that your profit margin is comparable to industry standards. So everybody's going to have, like, every industry has a different benchmark for, you know, acceptable profit margins. But you really have to look at the delicate balance between increasing your revenue and and cutting your expenses to get to that right profitability level. And then the other thing is, if you're planning on growing and scaling your business, you need to reinvest a lot of that profit back into your business so that you can grow it and keep your profit margins consistent while you're growing your business. And if you're a service-based business and you're a product-based business and you've got different uh, lines of products and services that you're selling, really understanding the profit margin for each of those individual services is important so you understand what you're pushing that's profitable and what isn't. Because so often I've seen clients who are pushing things that are best sellers, but they're not necessarily profitable. So if you don't understand where your profit is coming from and you're putting, you know, marketing dollars and advertising dollars behind um, things that really aren't serving your business well, that's a huge mistake right there too.
0: Yeah, I love the example there that you used. I was kind of thinking about like, how could you translate that into like everyday personal finances? Because the principles are very similar, right? If you're in business and you're putting dollars into the wrong things, you end up Mm -hmm. in a bad place. If you're in personal Mm -hmm. finance and trying to manage your own budget, it's the same principle. Mm-hmm. If you're putting dollars into the wrong place, let's say like a new car, uh, every five to seven years, I've had friends that were buying new cars every five years, and every year they're you know basically stealing the future of their wealth just because of absolutely you know, the depreciation, the depreciation yeah. of the car and the interest. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's megabucks. Like you run the numbers, even just buying one new car, like thirty five or forty grand, depending on what age you are could set you back a quarter a million dollars in future investment money if you uh, do mm-hmm. it, you know, and that's why my wife and I, we always buy cars now that are at least uh, three years old and uh, that we can pay cash for. So, you know, instead of a 45, uh, $50,000 car, we're buying 25 and $30,000 cars, which is still a lot, but that, but at the level that we're playing at, uh, we have a little bit more leeway. Whereas my children, yeah. for example, uh, I've got three drivers now, uh, they got $6,000 cars, which they, they ponied up three grand. We put in three grand with them with a specific goal of going, Hey, this is your first car. It's going to last you 10 years, you know, a $6,000 car that will last you roughly 10 years, get you out of college. That's my goal. Buy you a car that will get you through high school and get you out of college. And then hopefully last you for a little bit on your first job. Um, And that way you can at least get yourself established, you know, and that's a, that's a principle that I I wish I, I wish somebody had taught me that. Uh, When I was a Mm -hmm. teenager, I just I threw money at my hot rod left and right. Every every penny I made went into my hot rod.
2: Yeah, me too. Well, I didn't necessarily have a hot rod, but you know, I I wanted the the best and shiniest of cars. And my son is actually driving my old 2008 Honda. So (laughs) yeah, yeah, it survived that many years. (laughs) Now, how old is he? He's 19.
0: Yeah, so I've got a, yeah. I've got eight, eighteen. He'll be nineteen uh, in uh, June next year. But yeah, it's it's interesting how the principles uh, of business. I think uh, we want to believe. I think that they're very different, but there's a lot of similarities in those. And you know, you have yeah. to manage your money both well as a CEO over a company and also in personal finances. The best way to say it is, you know, you're the CEO of your own business. It's called Home Incorporated,
2: mm-hmm, exactly. or you could say
0: Home and Family Incorporated if you got yeah. as many kids as I've got. Um, but, or expanded home might be one too, <laughs> <laughs> it's enlarged. But yeah, and the principles there. So going back to the business side of things, um, and you're talking about these these CEOs, uh, most CEOs, and I think this would play off in personal finance too, is um, you people make the excuse, and I've got a few of those people in my life, like, I'm just not good with money, or I'm just not mm-hmm. good with numbers. Mm-hmm. And, and so the reason they're broke is because they're like, I'm just not as smart as you. Mm. And 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 that's just not true, right? It's so it's, not true. Yeah, it's like okay, okay. Maybe you maybe you can't do calculus three like I did when I was in college, and maybe you don't have an engineering degree, but you can still the math around money is not that complicated. It's 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 what would you even say? I'm going through. It's like it's like fifth grade level math, right? A lot of yeah. it. Yeah,
2: yeah. And I would say from my experience working with my clients. And the population in general, it's just money is the most emotionally charged topic there is out there. And a lot of those excuses are coming from emotion rather than truth. So people, you know, maybe they had been told when they were younger that they're no good at math, so that they've carried that story with them their Mm -hmm. whole life and never bothered to question it because they were told at such a young age. And they figured, well, that must be true. So when you start looking at your mindset issues and what's holding you back, either as a business owner or as an individual, and seeing your money blocks for what they are, that's when you can start working on them and understanding, you know what, it's not my math skills. It's the fact that I've never been taught how to do this. Mm -hmm. And we don't learn this in school. We don't learn it in high school. We don't learn it in college. There's no, you know, I, I think now there's probably more options available, but definitely when I was growing up, maybe when you're growing up that um, we didn't have those options in school. And mm-hmm. it's very rare that we would have parents who would talk to us about money. Now I was fortunate enough where my parents did, but they did so at a later age. Um, they didn't talk to me about it when I was like really young and really could have, you know, used those lessons. So um. I really, when, when, you know, I was raising my kids, my husband and I decided, okay, we want to be very open with them about money and teach them responsibility of money. So it's always been a very open conversation in our house with both our kids. But both our kids have very different attitudes towards money.
0: Mm, yeah, isn't that the truth? I got six of them and they all got different attitudes towards it. Um, yeah, I, I taught them how to be, I taught all my children how to be debt-free. So my ch- my children are pretty frugal. Like they're very frugal. Okay. Um and uh, they know we don't do dead as a family. And uh, but but the thing I missed, and you know, after you know working for Dave, is they don't have a lot of ambition. So they're like, and I think that's true of the millennial generation. There's this whole mindset of uh, I just want to enjoy life experiences, and I want to mm-hmm. have fun with my friends, and maybe I want to travel. It's it's a very like enjoy life, which I think is very healthy. But I think the principle there is you can enjoy life more fully if you manage your money well. You don't have yes. to be greedy or go after like a lot of different things. But understand how money plays into that and complementing, you know, your life goals and and where exactly. you want to be. And I think that's where a lot of people are missing it. So you have a thing called, uh, and I love how you said emotions are tied into to finances. I think when it comes to the, the concept of wealth, you know, what I kind of see is... Uh, I call them the misbeliefs of wealth, but, you know, this this whole mindset of, you know, money's evil, which it's mm-hmm. not evil. Uh, mm-hmm. It's And the love of money is the root of all evil, not money itself. Um, and then, you know, we've got uh, this concept of, you know, rich people are bad or mm-hmm. um, I'll never be rich or the rich people got lucky, which, you know, all of those things are what I call misbeliefs that are kind of like you said, mind blocks. They're blocks to your relationship with money that holds you back. And and I do believe you got to have the first place you start when it comes to money and building wealth is in your mind, your mindset. Yeah, yeah, like You have to shift that first. And that's that's really the first thing that I shifted because I, you know, I was telling you the story before the show. You know, I got my $39,000 W2 at 25 years old and I'm like, man, where did all that money go? Like, that's a bad year. I, I spent all that like, and I'm 16 grand in debt. So I like blew through $55,000 last year and that's not a good plan. So my mm-hmm. mindset from that point forward, started shifting. And that's when it started shifting from the mismanagement mindset to more of a wealth mindset. And, uh, and I, and I see that to be true with everybody I interview on my show. Like, you know, we're talking about that. And at some point you went through a mental
2: shift in the finances as well, didn't you? Mm-hmm. I sure did. I've been up and down, up and down throughout my whole life. <laughs> but, you know, quite often I find um with, people is that, yeah, there, there's this general idea that, you know, if they were to make a lot of money, that they're so afraid that it would turn them into a bad person. And what I often say is, you know, if you're a good person, money doesn't change you. Money will enhance the fact that you're a good person and you can do a lot of good with money. Money does not create happiness, but money creates opportunity. And with that opportunity comes giving and servicing others, which is really, you know, a positive thing that you can do with money. And if you're, you know, a jerk before you've had money, the only thing that's going to change when you have money is that, you know, a light is going to shine on the fact that you're a jerk and you're just going to be a bigger jerk with more money. Right. So it doesn't change you. It enhances um, how you view the world, I would say. Yeah, Dave. You know,
0: and I have I, you know, to work with him. You know, you hear these over and over. But he had a wonderful saying: "Is money just makes you more of what you really are, or, or makes you more of who you really are?" So if you're so a big, if you're a jerk so true. with a little bit of money, you'll be a bigger jerk with money. If you, you know, yeah. just fill in the blank, whatever those problems are, and they're your character flaws, right? So if you have character flaws, your character flaws are going to be a little bit worse if you got more money than they were when they when they uh, were not. I would say that that's true about me. Um, mm-hmm. The Now, you can break free. You can break through those, those character flaws. I'm working on that. But uh, it's not an excuse to let way back. Just become a better person yourself. And you should always be working on yourself uh, mm-hmm. anyway. So just make sure that you are. So when the money comes, it doesn't uh, cause problems or destroy you. So you, that caused you because of the emotional side of money in the realm that you deal with with CEOs and stuff. You have this thing called what's your money personality type. So tell me what that's all about.
2: Oh yeah, it's a fun little quiz that you can take on my website where you know you go through a series of questions and it'll assess you at the end. Where there's four different personality types: there's the risk taker, the saver, the spender, and oh, um, I just lost the the fourth one. But I mean, that's the general idea. It's just a fun little quiz. I mean, there's no, no no scientific facts behind it or anything. But the thing is, like we're all you know we all have our money story that we carry, and it's in how we react to it where we can change it right so if you're a spender but you've never really been taught how to save your money or give any sort of direction or job for your money chances are you're just going to still spend your money right but if you give yourself a job where you're like okay i want like like with your goals you know be a millionaire by 40 um and you start working towards that. You're giving direction for your money. You're giving your money a job to do so that instead of spending that money because you're mindlessly spending because you don't have a plan for it, mm-hmm. you can start investing and saving and get to that point where you can start living off your money.
0: Yeah, when you and to put that into numbers, like roll the clock back to when I was 25, which was you know 25 years ago, um, I was spending 130% of what I was making. So I was spent mm-hmm. the 39 grand plus another roughly 30, 40% on top of that.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: um, yeah, gosh, it was more like 40%, wasn't it? So yeah, 140%. So when I had my, my mindset shift from this scarcity mindset being broke to this abundance mindset of, hey, we can go here, I actually repurposed my entire paycheck. And I said, you know what? 30% of it goes towards debt. 30% of it goes towards investing. And I'll make the other 30% work off mm-hmm. my finances. And that's the model I adopted for uh, several years, you know, until I got married and or right before I got married and I was able to pay my debt off. And then my my 30% that went towards my debt started going towards my future wife's debt. and uh, <laughs> But having a purpose uh, behind that money is a big thing. Uh, but yeah, pointing it somewhere. So a lot of people get caught up in the budget, which a budget is something you need. Uh, I call it a spending plan because you need to know where you're spending all your money. Mm-hmm. But I like a better idea, which is going, hey, where's my cash flow? Like, where's my my money flowing to? So it's either flowing away from you or it's flowing towards you into something that's useful for you. So if you're buying cars or televisions or stereos, which is what I bought, um, that's flowing away from you into depreciating items that have no future value. They all go to zero. I, I, I don't have my stereo that I bought back then. I do have my speakers Yes, I do have the speaker still, so they're still in the service, but I don't have the, the 25-year-old stereo. I don't have the 25-year-old TV that's gone, and I don't yeah. have the 25-year-old car. So, those are all zero value to me here 25 years later. But my investments were able to build value and continue to grow. Mm-hmm. Um, we actually used, uh, it's, it's kind of interesting we're talking about this, but we, uh, when I got married, I actually liquidated my investment fund at that point, uh, both to pay on my wife's debt, also to buy our first house. So I used that money that I saved to put down uh, roughly about 15, 20% down payment on our house. And then, um, yeah. And so here I am today living in this house, filming at my studio. And that that money could be traced back all the way to that first house and that investment that I made. And so that's appreciating mm-hmm. value. So it, it kind exactly. of, money, that money I was able to carry with me. And, and it's really still with me today, paying dividends. We, uh, we bought this house, um, let's see, 12 years mm-hmm. ago. Yeah, 12 years ago. And we're about to put it on the market, and it's now worth uh four hundred percent of what it was twelve years ago
2: yeah we're
0: really we're d- we happen to live in a hot we're in a hot market we're in a hot market
2: mm-hmm. um
0: and so that that would be considered an appreciating item or uh, a good value so mm-hmm. did you remember what the other personality was? you said risk taker spender, and saver planner planner yeah. <laughs> you know it's interesting that you say those four because let's talk about this because I see myself being all four of those just on different time at different times on different days. Yeah. Do you yeah. like, I know with the disc profile, which is a profile we used at, at Ramsey's, um, what, w- what it was is you, you're a little bit of all of the discs, you know, the D, the I, the S and the C, that, that personality profile, you tend to lend a little bit more towards one or the other. Yeah. But you are, you have elements of all of those in you to some degree. Do you say that's the true with this personality type when you work with people?
2: Oh, absolutely. And I know I can say for myself, it's been like that as well. I mean, I have my own personal story of getting myself into debt and it's not, you know, something that I'm proud of, but it's definitely a mistake that I learned from. So, you know, like I said, I've had my ups and downs in my financial life. And when my husband and I, you know first met and got married, we had financial goals and plans that we were working towards together. And then, you know, a couple of I guess it must have been about five or six years ago now, I totally derailed off that plan. So I was definitely a spender for a good year. And even though I know better, I still ignored it and mm-hmm. I still, you know, spent money that I shouldn't have. You know, I, I spent it in credit, right? So even though we had financial goals and we had money stashed away and this and that, you know, technically, you know, I could have justified it saying we could afford it, but realistically, no. I was I was deviating from the plan, and I blew all this money. We got a swimming pool, we got stupid things, nothing that appreciated in value. But I had this like, oh, I I, I need to to do something. I, I need to fulfill myself. I was missing something really is the long. And yeah, the I agree. It. I
0: see it. Yeah, I see it. So, and I was going to ask you, what, what do you think caused that? Do you think, um, do you think your vision got a little foggy? Like, cause I know that Andy Stanley teaches you got to reset the vision every 90 days. So did you get off? Did you just kind of lose sight of the vision a little bit? I
2: lost sight of the vision and I got lost because I knew I wasn't happy. I knew I wasn't happy, but I couldn't figure out what was going on because, you know, like there was nothing obvious. My relationship was great. My kids with my kids, my husband, you know, like things were good, but really I had this deep seated need to leave the corporate world and start my own business. And it took peeling back those layers to figure out what it is that, that was so powerful enough to derail me from my financial plan. Mm. You know, and that was definitely an eye opening experience. It's something I have no regrets over because I've learned so much from. But I mean, I wish I hadn't blown all that money.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no doubt, right? Well, (laughs) I mean, I've got, yeah, I mean, I've got things right that got me off track. Like, you know, I mentioned, uh, I think earlier. If I didn't on the show, it was pre-show about buying a vacuum cleaner. You know, we had yeah. a throw rug. <laughs> we had a throw rug. That's the only carpet in the whole house. And I'm like, why did I need a $1,500 vacuum cleaner? Now, I will say in my defense, I've been married 23 years. That vacuum cleaner is still here in this house and still works today. So, um, I'm pretty yeah. happy about that. Yeah. Um, the freezer, however, does not work and it's gone. So, I spent 1500 bucks <laughs> on that. That was a waste of money. Um so I've got those things, the $5,000 uh, video projector for the home theater room that I bought that I'm like, ah, I had the money. I, you know, it wasn't a big deal, but looking back, I'm like, ah, I, I had more wants than I yeah. had since at the time. And exactly. you, you gotta, you gotta enjoy life a little bit, but at the same time, I think I, I lost sight of my vision or my goals. And, and, you know, part of what happened was I hit my goal, but I didn't set another goal.
2: Yes, so I yes, hit my
0: millionaire really point. Yeah, I hit my millionaire goal, and then I drifted for yeah. uh, for honestly for ooh man, it's been a while. I had some other financial goals in there, so I did a couple things like we bought a couple of rental properties and things like that. But I didn't have a big goal like nowadays. I've got a big goal. I'm like, oh, I've, I'm, my net worth's over a million bucks. What's the next goal? Well, why don't we put why don't we write ten million down there? Yeah, and then after I hit ten million, why don't I write a hundred million down there? Yeah. It sounds ridiculous, you know, when you look at the numbers. It uh, doesn't. Yeah, but it's like, you know, I, I was a broke kid, 25 years old, yeah. living in a, a drug neighborhood, and some for some reason, thought I could become a millionaire. And you did? And we did. And yep. so there's a lot of people that believe in, like, what is it, uh, the power of attra- law of attraction, power of mm-hmm. positive thinking, things like mm-hmm. that. I'm starting to believe, I know it's going to sound a little bit new age for you future millionaires out there, but I'm just going to say it. Um, there's I'm starting to believe that there are these kind of spiritual laws that govern our world, right? So just like we have the law of thermodynamics that governs you know, heat and energy and things like that, uh, law of gravity. Thank you. Uh, was it Isaac Newton? Um, you know, an apple, I believe. <laughs> Lose my history here. Um that said, hey, gravity exists. It's how it governs. I, I'm starting to believe there are these spiritual laws. And That's why you see these books popping up, like uh, Power of Positive Thinking, because, you know, it's just like you got to envision it or the law of attraction or uh what goes around comes around, right? So car- they call it karma. That's a law. That's like, a, in yeah. my mind, that's like a spiritual law that I think these things are happening. So when I, at 25, go, you know what? I think I can. Doesn't mean everything you think you're going to be able to do but that was the first moment where i um, i could actually trace back to you and go oh what 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 why were you different what happened differently than you cuz i got a lot of friends that are not millionaires i got mm-hmm. a lot of friends that aren't managing their money well i got mm-hmm. a lot of friends that you know we have the same background grew up in the same areas and it's like they didn't do the same things so you have to you know you have to back that up so when you think you go oh i think i can you need to back it up with action that kind of sets you in motion and i Absolutely. think that was If I did one thing right, it was actually get busy doing something, make a change and get busy doing something.
2: Yeah. And, and I completely agree with you in this, you know, law of attraction and the power of positivity and stuff, but I also believe it has to be combined with actionable steps, you know, because so often I see in the online space where, you know, some coaches are like, Oh, just, you know, wish it. And it's going to come to you. And I, I, I don't. I disagree with that. You know, it's like, yeah, okay, you can change your attitude about it. You can open your heart to wanting to accept these things, but you're also going to have to put out some work and go out and get that. Like, you know, if I wish for a million dollars, if that worked for everybody, nobody would be working, right? Because we'd all have a million bucks and we'd be happy. But it, it doesn't work that way. So definitely, you know, clear those mindset blocks, you know, open your heart and accept this abundance, but work for it as well in order to attain it.
0: Yeah, there's no no doubt about that. There's a lot of people that wish for things that never come to place. I've got a few wishes that never happened either. It's because I didn't didn't work on them. But um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's like I'm not to like uh I don't have that yacht yet, you know. And I'm not, but I'm not yeah. actively working towards that yacht. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, that is one of our like you know just talking a little bit. I haven't mentioned this on radio, but we we had a boat. We sold our boat. You know, um, restructured our finances a little bit. We enjoyed our boat when we had it, but it just didn't make sense to keep it because we weren't able to make it out to the lake. But, you know, my wife and I have talked about it in, you know, recent years and ago. You know, if we ever buy a boat again, what would we do? What would we buy? You know, and we're kind of settled mm-hmm. on a small yacht um, that we might keep down in the Gulf that we can, you know, ride across the Gulf and go down to Fort Lauderdale. Lovely. Maybe, maybe, you know, it's out there. Mm-hmm. It's not something I'm like pursuing or anything, but, but maybe um, opportunities. But I think you got to set. You've got to set some some financial goals for yourself. I'll tell you one thing that's interesting too is it's really about getting going in the first place. You got to get started. So, you know, yeah. who I am today, 25 years later, I'm a lot smarter, I'm a lot savvier um, than I was as a 25-year-old. As a 25-year-old, all I knew was like, you know what, I, don't, I just want to make a change. I don't want to live broke anymore. I think I can become a millionaire. Let's start working on that. And, uh, you know, it was just that simple. Like how to get started, and then I got started, and then you put a little bit of energy into it, and then you put a little bit of more energy, and a little bit more energy. Up momentum, exactly, exactly. That's exactly right. So I think for a lot of people listening to the show, um, you that's where you start. You got to start by going, "Hey, I'm going to put some energy into this," and and it may not happen exactly like you think it was because my millionaire journey did not look exactly like I envisioned. I didn't plan Mm -hmm. on getting married and having six kids. I didn't plan on spending fifteen hundred dollars or more in diapers for six kids. I didn't plan on (laughs) private school, which you know costs me ten thousand dollars per year per kid. I didn't plan on Mm -hmm. any of those things, but because I made that mental shift at twenty-five and build on it, I kept building on it. It allowed me to to take that journey and still succeed, even though it materialized like in a different way. And, exactly. and yeah, and that's growth. Right. And so um, yeah. a lot of people, I think, are afraid to get started. And I think that's another principle that's out there is just get started. Just just get started Absolutely. because you don't have all the answers when you get started. But you, exactly. can, you
2: get started, you do your best. And, you know, in my situation, too, where I got completely derailed. Well, I went back and continued on that path to success. I didn't let it define me. I did not let my mistakes define me. I said, okay, there was a lesson in here. I learned it. Now I'm back on that path. You know, I, I'm not giving up. Yeah, of course. Correct.
0: You know, my my I got off exactly. my path when I got that that meat. And oh, by the way, yeah, we got that freezer, got the meat delivered. And then I needed an extension cord or a plug. So I unplugged the freezer <laughs> and left it unplugged. And out goes $800 in Oopsies. meat. That we, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't do that w- just once. I did that twice, by the way. The second time I did it, I told my wife, "I'm like, look, look I, I'm I'm at fault here, hundred percent, but I I'm not going to pay another eight hundred bucks for meat that I may ruin. So we're done with this service. Yeah. We're out. We're out. We're just we're just going to go buy it buy it straight as we need it. But anyway, uh, yeah. So if you uh, the, the moral of the story there is not don't buy a meat service and don't buy a freezer. The moral of the story is don't finance it. It's not probably not something you need. But so let's get back to the CEOs and stuff. So what are some things that you are really working that you see are most prevalent with CEOs um, that you help them with? Because a lot of that transfers into the home life, right? Like we said earlier, you're the CEO of your own home's finances. So the CEO uh, stuff in the office, same problems exist in both places a lot of the time. So what are some of those look like?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, for for the CEOs that I work with, they're typically privately owned businesses. So their owner managed. And that's the sweet spot, right? Where you get to build your wealth in your business and transfer it to your personal wealth. So there's, and that's how I teach it too, where it's like, okay, first of all, we're going to make your business profitable. We're going to talk about the balance sheet. We're going to talk about the income statement. We're going to talk about cash flow. And you're going to have a really good understanding of all of that within your business. But those skills also transfer to your personal finances as well. So, you know, when you're talking about a balance sheet in a business, you know, you can equate that to your net worth and your personal finances. When you're talking about an income statement in business, you can equate that to your budget, you know, like what's coming in and out of your household. That is basically like an income statement, right? And, you know, your cash flow, I mean, both businesses and your personal finances need to be sure that you are meeting your financial obligations. So you've got adequate, f- like money coming in and, you know, covering your expenses that are going out. So there's a lot of similarities between, you know, managing your business finances and your personal finances.
0: Yeah. And yeah, exactly. And mismanaging that. So what what are some things that people do that you see that they mismanage on that are some of the biggest issues uh, that you could overlay?
2: Yeah, that's a really good question. Cause statistically speaking, um, especially for well, for businesses, 82% of businesses fail due to financial mismanagement. Okay. So it's extremely important. So I've seen million dollar companies go bankrupt because they've managed they have not managed their finances well. And you know. In my opinion, it's a simple fix, but if you're not paying attention to what's going on in your business, you, you don't know what you don't know. So, um, you know, I, I'm sorry, I forget the question. I kind of got on a ramble no, were, there. and No,
0: no, you were right <laughs> on track, Melissa. We were talking about biggest mistakes you can make and you were basically oh, talking the yes, about... Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yes. yeah. You're talking about people keep not keeping a uh, watch over the money and how it flows.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, the typical, the most popular mistakes that I see being made is... Not creating a financial plan for your business, and it goes back to what we were talking about. If you don't have goals, then you're just going to wander around aimlessly and spend your money on things that you don't necessarily need. Um, so, if you give your 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 business or or your money a job, then that gives it direction, right? So, we create financial plans. We talk about cash management. We ensure the profitability, and the profitability can be transferred. You know, like you're you're talking to a business owner, but you can also create profit within your household. I mean, Mm -hmm. it relates on so many levels, right? You Mm -hmm. know, managing your household finances is not a whole lot different than your business. So what you do ideally is if you're a business owner and you're working and creating this net worth in your business, that's where, you know, you can either reinvest that money and grow your, your business. If you're at the spot where you're like, you know what, I'm good where I am and I want to start enjoying this money, Then you take that money out of your business and you start, you know, buying things that bring you joy. Like there's nothing wrong with spending money if you've got the money to spend Mm -hmm. and you've planned it out. Like if you're making mindful decisions and you're like, I've worked, like in your case, I've worked to attain this small yacht. I'm at the point now where I can finance it through my own funds. Why not? you know, life is short, enjoy your life, but you're making responsible decisions.
0: Yeah. And I think with business too, I I love this because uh, Dave talked to us about one day, he's talked about um, eventually you get to a point where your investments are spending off more money than you're making in your business um, Mm -hmm. because you keep, you keep reinvesting, but you're, you're diversifying, right? So some business owners, some business owners take, they sell their life and their blood into their business, they never take enough out or they don't diversify out of the business. And then all of a sudden, after 20 years, the market shifts, the the product shifts, there's competitors, something, and their business goes under. And they basically have worked on 20 years for a business, but didn't have a plan B uh, to to follow up. Same thing with the job, right? So if people put all their effort into their job, and their job goes away, which some are going away right now because of, Forced mandatory COVID vaccinations, right? So yep. some people are choosing to walk away from their jobs rather than to get that vaccine,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: and that and they're having to have a plan B. And I'm I'm working with a few of those. Like, what's what's the plan B? And if you're if you're thinking about um, from the concept of hey, this is good. I've got a primary gig, whether that's a business or a job. You know, for a business owner, it's a business. For a job guy, it's a job. But you got to be preparing yourself for that day when those two things don't exist. That may come in the next five years. It may come in the next 10 years, may come in the next 20, 30 or 40 years. But you want to set yourself up for that success. And that's the part I think a lot of people don't get is, you know, um, the we all believe the party is going to go continue. Like, you know, my business is running great. The party's going well, you know, it's it's never going to end. Same thing with the job. You know, the party's never going to end. I got this great job. I got all this good money. Let me just spend it, spend it, spend it, spend it, spend it. All of a sudden, it's gone. Now you're like, oh, what do I do? We're broke. We're, you know, we're over leveraged. We got all these problems. And mm-hmm. so I love what you're saying about having like a financial plan, yes. um, not just flying by the seat of your pants.
2: Exactly. And you bring up a really excellent point where diversification is extremely important. It's a type of insurance to, to ensure your income. I love that you're, you're talking about that.
0: Yeah, and I think a lot of business owners, and correct me wrong, a lot of business owners don't think that way because they're so like busy working on the business that everything mm-hmm. revolves around the business, and they're not going, oh, I need to be buying a piece of real estate, or I need to be, um, you know, investing in equities, stock market, or you know, my favorite right now, cryptocurrency, or uh, you know, any 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 of these other things that you can get into a, a franchise. Yeah. Some some people I've met have their primary business and then they have franchises that are run by different business managers that run those businesses for them. And they're sitting in that's, that's playing on a whole different level than a lot of people <laughs> are. Like, I yeah. don't have a franchise right now, but I'm starting to look into it. I'm like, you know what? Maybe uh, maybe my daughter doesn't want to go to college. Maybe she can go run a franchise for me. Yep. And, uh, and that way I can be involved in helping her. Uh, mm-hmm. Not that my daughter wants to work for me, by the way. But uh but you know, who knows? One day, maybe. Maybe one day, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And when when donkeys fly probably for for that one. Now, two of my girls maybe they would, but my third one probably not so much. She probably wouldn't enjoy daddy being around that much. Um, you know, okay to I love you and uh you know, if things are good, but don't boss me around. That's kind of yeah. yeah.
2: how it works. <laughs> I have a daughter like
0: that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like okay, I won't boss you around. Yeah. Um so with that being said, you got CEOs, uh, you're helping them CPA. Um, one thing I found interesting is um, long-term planning, right? So yeah. I worked in a business where we basically planned year to year. That's, that was the extent of our planning. We planned, what are we doing next year? What's our revenue going to be next year? What's our product sales going to be? What, what are we doing next year? Versus a three five to five-year plan, right? So some companies yeah. like Apple... Probably has a loose fifteen year plan. Goes this is where we're going to be. This is what we're going to mm-hmm. do. This is our product lines. We're going to have other companies that are less sophisticated that are managing, you know, year to year. Some mm-hmm. of them not even managing that. Right? They're managing month to month, not year to year. So, yeah. what would you say to that that CEO or you know, correspondingly, a homeowner, a uh, you know, people at home working?
2: Yeah, I mean, typically, what I do is say, first of all, what are your goals? What is it that you want to accomplish? get clear on your goals and then create your financial plan to support those goals. And for sure, you need an operating plan for the first year of your, or the year ahead of your business. Um, And then for your five-year plan, for like a small to medium-sized business, you don't need to map out you know, exactly what's going to happen every month for five years. But you need a general idea of of what the direction that you want to go in and how much you want to earn each and every year in profit and what you want to reinvest into your business versus you know, paying yourself, but you also have to consider, like, do you have any large capital expenses that are going to be coming up that you'll need to purchase? You know, having a good five-year plan is not just about how much money you're going to bring in. It's about how much money you're going to be requiring to send out of the business to sustain the business, Mm -hmm. right? So it depends on what industry that you're in, first of all, like, you know, when we were talking about Kodak, like, you know, I was saying you, you need to invest in that, you know, r&d research to to keep up with the the changing technology but if you're a service-based business where you're i don't know like an accountant well you know you, you probably don't have as much of a cash outlay that you need to invest in to um sustain your business other than you know keeping up with your professional obligations but you also need to understand where you want to take that business to
0: yeah, I love that example. I think you know I hate keep be- beating the car, the car over the head with the example. But you know, if somebody needs to buy a car, it's not like you just wake up one day and all of a sudden you need to buy a car. You knew you needed to buy a car exactly for five, for five years. So what's your yeah. plan? What's your five year plan to buy a car versus your thirty day plan? Your car just blew up plan, right? Exactly. And that goes for business or personal. You have got to have a plan. So
2: if you if you're having you gotta a, have an emergency fund,
0: yeah. If you're if you're trying to buy a car in the moment or something big and you, because your car engine just blew up, well, that's the worst possible time to try mm-hmm. to figure out what to do. Right. Yeah. So if you come along and say, Hey, I'm probably, my car is kind of getting end of life. Um, but I've been working on my savings fund for that. And I've got these investment dollars set aside and now I've got, you know, $30,000 in investments. Now you, you got options, right? You don't have to go finance another car at, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, six, 7%, uh, whatever they're running these days. I haven't had one in, 25 years now so or 20 i'll tell you back. 20 years 20 years we paid my wife's off in uh 2002 and uh i guess i could say longer than that because mine was paid off in 1998 but but awesome. uh, yeah so so um yeah so and, and not get stuck with you know a bill of financing a car you can have a different plan and uh that works out and then you can find some really good deals too so you know the, i think the best people i like buying cars from Elderly people with low mileage. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Ten year old ten year old car with like no miles on it, less than ten thousand miles, twenty thousand miles. Man, you can get such a deal on those cars. It's exactly. just like, yeah, unbelievable. And, and I bought one or two of those. Um and and they ran like they run so great, man. And and got good great great prices on it. I think uh, my wife's car blew up, the one that we've that was financed. It didn't even make it, I think five years maybe. And uh blew up and then we ended up replacing it, bought, uh, my wife's aunt's car. So it was a Buick, uh, a Buick something Regal or something. I don't remember. Um, and I don't remember the miles on it, but we paid $3,500 for it.
2: Nice, It was a great car. Yeah.
0: drove it for, drove it for several years. Um, yeah. yeah, it was a good deal. So, uh, Melissa, any parting words of wisdom for the future millionaires listening to the show today?
2: Oh my goodness, where would I start? There's so many (laughs) hurting words. Um, I would say, first of all, you know, create your financial plan, really figure out what you want to do with your money and get that working for you. You know, time is on your side. um, Investing money is fantastic, but making smart, informed decisions on your investments. Yeah, wherever you are today, get started. I met somebody just this morning who,
0: uh it was a little bit sad uh, because they're in their 40s and they hadn't been working on a millionaire plan. And I'm like, you know what? It doesn't matter when you start. Just do it because you, yeah. anybody, anybody can do this thing. Anybody can get their mm-hmm. finances in order. Anybody can be in a better place in a year. And it may not feel like you're in a good place now, but, you know, work it for a year, work it for two yeah. years, work it for five years. And you will be amazed at the difference that can happen in just this very, very short period of time once you start getting things on track. Melissa, thanks for being on the show today, being on the Millionaire Choice. I really appreciate it. And uh, where should people
2: go to find out about you? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. And you can find me at melissahoustoncpa.com. If you're a business owner, go download the free five-step roadmap to biz finance freedom. And you can also check out the businesssociety.co where I have started a website and there's already a lot of information on there for business owners and it's not just money related, although uh, like there's personal finance, there's business finance resources, but it's also, you know, building your business as well. So I, am, I have a podcast too called The Business Society, so tune in. Oh, and sorry, <laughs> I sound like a running billboard here, but I also oh, am a, column, I'm a columnist at Forbes.com and I write about personal finance and business finance. So you can check out those articles as well.
0: Awesome, Melissa. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks for sharing your wisdom. Thank you so much. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever wanted to talk to someone about what to do with your money or career, but you didn't know who to ask? You can try to figure out how money works on your own, but it's a lot easier and a lot less painful with a mentor. But not just any mentor. You need a money mentor. A money mentor helps you understand the ins and outs of money, getting rid of your debt, setting up your investments, and figuring out ways to help you boost your income. Finding a money mentor is millionaire key number four, and it's one of the most important keys on your financial journey. Let me tell you about a special opportunity I have for you. For a limited time, I'm making myself available as your money mentor. You can book one hour with me for free. That's no charge. One hour may not sound like a lot, but with just one hour, I know I can have a huge impact on your life and finances. It's 100% free, no risk. Visit themillionairechoice.com and register for the free money mentor session. That's themillionairechoice.com and click on money mentor.
1: That's a wrap for this episode of The Millionaire Choice. Remember, wealth is a result of getting smarter with your money. Wealth helps you enjoy life and help people. For resources, tools, and a community that will accelerate your millionaire journey, go to themillionairechoice.com. The Millionaire Choice Show shares the opinions and experiences of people and should not be considered financial advice. Before making your own financial choices, please seek out a registered financial advisor or certified financial planner.